Hey everybody, welcome to the Atheist Experience Live. I'm Matt Dillahunty. Joining me this week, Tracy Harris. We are here live. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go on with lengthy, crazy announcements, but I do want to say that um, this is a, a live call-in program. The phone number will be down there below. After we're done, we've been getting together for dinner at Threadgills 301 West Riverside Drive. That will show up at the bottom as well. And also next weekend, um, the ACA will be having its uh, annual elections and open house at the building. Uh, so you can vote on a new president, as I will not be running. I'll actually be in Orange County, uh, California, for the Orange County Free Thought Association Conference, cool. which is like a mouthful. It is. But how you been? Good, thank you. And you haven't been on since uh, the American Convention, Atheist Convention. That's right, where I got this cool T-shirt for the black non-believers. Um, just want to give them a shout-out because they were cool. Absolutely. Uh, and we'll say, hey there, Dr. Smith, and hey there, Bridget, and everybody that uh, we got to meet that was so awesome. Um, and just want to throw it out that uh, you don't have to be black to buy a black non-believers t-shirt. Absolutely. They, uh, they don't discriminate. Anyone can, can wear it, um, and anyone can buy it, anyone can support them. And so if you feel like you would like to lend some support to uh, minority groups that are you know, dealing with specific demographic issues that affect their communities in different ways and make um, being outside of the religious community uh, a different experience for them than it might be for the group that you're involved in. Um, it's good to kind of get to know what these different ideas are and, uh, and what affects people differently based on their demographics here, uh, you know, in any, anywhere, I suppose. Um, it's a different experience for different people, and uh, the more we know, the more we can support each other. And we do need to support each other because religion is huge. Absolutely <laughs> monstrous. So anyway, you wanted to talk a little bit about oh, yeah. crazy things that yeah, yeah. people believe. And I, and I should uh, clarify because a few people have kind of misunderstood what I was saying. Now, we've had other shows, I guess, before where people have talked about um, conspiracy theories or mm -hmm. people have talked about homeopathy and, you know, dealt with different sorts of unskeptical beliefs that groups of people hold. But this is a little bit different than that. Um, I actually had posted something as a little bit of an informal poll, and I did this uh, for fun, but it turned out being funnier than I expected it would be. I mean, I got a kick out of it, and I think everybody that was involved got a kick out of it. And so I kind of wanted to share this, um, because people seem to really enjoy the fact that they were sharing it with each other. So I'm kind of sharing it more broadly. So what I posted was, outside of my religious beliefs, supernatural powers I used to think I had at different points in my life. Number one, the ability to breathe underwater when I was very young. Number two, the ability to jump into the air and hover again when I was very young. Number three, the ability to psychically be connected to radio waves, knowing which songs were on the radio without it being on. Number four, the ability to engage in telepathic connections with other people when on drugs. <laughs> and number five, the ability to have prophetic dreams. And then I added... I'm guessing there are probably more if I think about it, but this is my start. What would be on your list, if anything? And I was really surprised at how many people responded and at some of the things they responded with. It, was, it just got very funny. So one person posted really early on and said, I'm very scared. I'm editing some of this for language, but it's like, I'm very scared. I had all those beliefs except for the hovering thing. Wow, must be universal. 
Somebody else said they thought they had, and some of these I'm going to read even though I don't quite understand them because I'm thinking if someone thought this, there might be somebody else out there that thought this as well that says, oh my gosh, that was me. Um, this person said I thought they thought they had the ability to breathe ice cold breath or really hot breath when they were young, um, which I'm assuming they meant like breathe out very hot or cold, like control their breath temperature in you know, different ways or something to extremes. One guy thought he had the capacity to time travel, which I'm assuming he doesn't mean forward, um, <laughs> which, of course, I can do. Uh, one person said that they shared my jump and hover uh, belief. When they were young, they thought they could jump and hover as well, and they also thought they could will things to happen by counting backwards from 10 slowly and focusing intently. They thought they could read people. The most prominent thing they said was they thought they had an intuitive association of a person, and this was interesting, with one of three colors. Well, they went on a little bit to talk about the colors, and then later someone else said, hey, that sounds like synesthesia, and you might actually be afflicted with synesthesia, or I shouldn't say afflicted, I don't know how to describe it, but have this condition. Um, And the person read the article and was like, oh my gosh, I think that is what I have. It's like just a, a, I think my rudimentary understanding of it is just that it's confusion in the sensory perceptions of the brain that make make people, you know, hear colors and uh, you know, taste sounds and things like that. So they do have these other perceptions that get confused with each other. And so that they, when they read the article, they were like, this sounds exactly like what I was like as a child and what I still have. And I just had given up thinking that I would ever be able to understand it or explain it or know what it was. But thank you for posting it. So that and, was helpful. And there's actually a lot more. I mean, there's a lot of, of great studies have been done on, on um, people with non-normal brains. And right. synesthesia is one um, that we see uh, synesthesia and things like it when we're talking about um, uh, high-functioning autistics and savants. Yes. So that people whose perception of numbers is more, uh, you know, they, they, see, they see a number or experience a number as a color uh, evidently can, can be beneficial in doing calculations yeah. with those numbers. And I think there's been composers who have talked about sounds and, and color um, and so, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, it's interesting, that, but they have diagnosed it, and you can find more information about that. So it was kind of cool that somebody actually got an answer to a long-time question that they had been dealing with something, and now they understand what it is. Um, somebody said that they thought they could use something like the force to cause breezes to blow through a window or affect the TV reception. Um, somebody else said they thought they had telekinesis and could fly. Um, thought that if they concentrated hard enough, they could just make it happen. And then they said, do I have to tell you it never actually worked? Um, One person said they thought that bats carried the spirits of dead people from house to house. (laughs) And let's see, we've got somebody who said that they sometimes wake up thinking they have um, psychokinesis because in their dreams they wake up and they had psychokinesis. And so they get confused upon waking. And um, they thought they could control the rain by singing and a power that they didn't think they had, but their family was convinced they had, was that they could talk to dead members of the family when they were little. Mm. So then we have, let's see, um, a couple people chimed in to say they thought similar things, and somebody else, you know, I thought, I, a few people were like, I, I thought I could control songs on the radio or had, you know, a connection to what was playing on the radio. Um, this one guy made a cute little joke. My my dad believes if he touches a fishing pole, it won't ever catch a fish. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, someone says they thought they had the ability to control electronic devices and that they could climb walls. <laughs> and I think they mean like in ways that would not be, you know, physically normal. Um, let's see. Oh, I used to, this person was kind of funny too. I used to think I was a finder that I could telepathically know that something important was hidden and where to find it. Uh, this was corroborated by the fact that I found about a dozen long lost and emotionally significant things for other people. <laughs> but then they went on to explain how this ability worked. When I was a teenager, if you invited me to your house and you went to the bathroom and left me alone, I would snoop through your stuff. <laughs> Drawers, closets, what have you. <laughs> When you came back, I'd be fiddling with something um, that I found, a magnet, a locket, a ring. Invariably, the other person would say, oh, my God, I haven't seen that for years. I thought it was lost forever. Thank you for finding it. <laughs> and this is horrible, but it's funny. Um, I do have one friend who says that whenever somebody tells them they can't find something, they say, look behind the sofa. And what's funny is most of the time it's not behind the sofa, but the few times it has been, he's really freaked people out. <laughs> Which this talks to, you know, the idea of hits and misses. I mean, this is this is how people get convinced. We know that with um, animal psychology experiments, uh, it takes very few hits to convince some animal or some human that something works, that, that there is a connection. Um, but it takes quite a lot of hits to unconvince them, to, to break that, that idea that there is. That's why you see the lucky socks. You wear the socks a couple times, your team wins a couple times, and then you never <coughs> go without those lucky socks. Even though your team hasn't won for 10 games, you're still putting your lucky socks on. There, uh, there's a lot of that, though, um, yeah. in the magic community, particularly in the mentalism community. And um, James Randi tells a story. I think it was... I don't want, don't want to actually get it wrong, but I think it was maybe Theodore Adaman or somebody who was doing a mentalism show, and James Randi, as a young man, was called up on stage to assist with adding up some numbers or something. And when he got up there, um, he looked at Randi and he said, young man, you, you wouldn't by any chance happen to be a conjurer yourself, would you? And Randi's sitting here going... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just an amateur and just kind of getting started and everything. Right. And he's like, well, you know, I don't want to use you for fear that people may think we're in cahoots, so you go back and take a seat. And Randy's sitting there going, you know, did I did I leave something hanging out? or what? How, how the hell could he have known this? And it turns out that it was just a standard line that he would use. And, of course, they would say no, and then it would be a funny joke. And if they say yes, then he's got yet another miracle that I identified you as, you know, sure. a, a fellow sure. conjurer. So. Yeah, no, that's because you're right. It gives you the perfect excuse. If the person says no, you're like, okay, good, because I just want to make sure, because then you just go on with your spiel. Yeah, but if, the, if you get it right, you look awesome. Yeah, so we got another one here for somebody who said they used to believe they had a psychic connection with family members, and they also used to believe that they had what was, you know, beginner's luck, which I'm, I'm thinking they meant, like, you know, literally that they had beginner's luck. Um, so you do everything one time. And then yeah, yeah. Time. You do great at everything. I'm going to bet you a million dollars on my very first game of pool. And uh, then I'll never play. Here's somebody who thought they could detect evil and good spirits, like angels and demons, and they uh, they even went to a blessing of a house where they walked through to point out places that were evil. <laughs> so, um, let's see. This one person says they thought they had the ability to echolocate by producing sub-vocalizations and interpreting the waves returning back by their lower jaw and to their ear. Um, and they said even when they thought they could do it, it didn't work very well. <laughs> Okay, so we've got uh, somebody who used to think they could see ghosts and auras, and then they realized they were seeing just odd refractions caused by um, the lenses on their glasses. Uh, let's see, somebody else thought they could hover and fly. Oh, this is, I think they, they're just saying they used to dream it. Let's see. Um, somebody 
saw a vision of a dead relative. They thought it was real at the time, but they still don't see that as a reason to believe in ghosts. Uh, let's see. I used to believe there was a God. <laughs> well, I started this thing. It was outside of my religious beliefs. Yeah. But I mean, but I used to believe I could communicate with God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I did say later in the thread that I also remembered another one, which I thought that I had a, a working Ouija board. Mm, yeah. um, and it was funny because someone posted and said that uh, they realized that their Ouija board didn't work because it was by Hasbro. And I said, well, mine was Parker Brothers, so clearly it was real. <laughs> oh, this person said they thought they... This, this was kind of funny because I wasn't sure what they meant, and I almost wanted to kind of joke back, I can do that too, but they said, I used to think I had the ability to communicate with people on eBay. <laughs> like, well, you can. <laughs> um, but, but they gave an example here. When uh, when they asked how long it would take to ship something, given a specific shipping method and uh, way they chose because it was the cheapest, I would think if I clearly told them the cheapest way at $20 would take four to six weeks, they would understand that and not email in two weeks demanding to know where their package is and why it's taking so long. I don't quite understand what he's describing, um, but he did, he couldn't do I it. I think they're just complaining about people on eBay. <laughs> that could be it. Maybe I just didn't get it and thought they were serious. But um, Somebody thought they had telepathic telekinetic powers. Um, it's amazing how many of these you could actually put to a test. Oh, and some people said they did test it and got negative results and still believed it. Cool. Um, he says, I believed, uh, also believed in, at different points in my life, UFOs, the Loch Ness Monster, the Bermuda Triangle, ghosts, numerology, 9-11 conspiracy theories, reincarnation, the imminent end of the world, you name it. Um, ACA helped me uh, on my path to reason. And then, let's see, somebody, they went on a little bit more here. I was a truther for about a month. <laughs> Couldn't keep up with the level of crazy it required. Um, it was during a couple of years when I was also a creationist. Uh, let's see. I once thought I could read minds and that I was a goddess, but only when I was really sick. <laughs> My sister thought her shadow could talk to her. I thought that was an interesting one. As a five- or six-year-old, this annoyed the dickens out of me. And then later, my sisters thought they could change the direction their bowling balls were headed by using the force on it. And if you've ever watched bowling, I think many people kind of think that because you'll see a lot of this. You know, it's like they roll it, and then it's just like, it's like, what are you, are you pushing it? Like, you know, it, it is sort of like, a, I can, if, if only it moves this, like, I'm moving this way, and it will yeah. move this way. I mean, you know it's not really going to happen, but you, you almost can't control it. And it is this sort of... Uh, magical thinking, this connectivity mm-hmm. of I do this and the wall will do this. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, somebody else, telekinesis, and thought I could find a lost thing by losing other things that would be easier to find. <laughs> <laughs> how, do you, how do you intentionally <laughs> lose something? It's like, I can't find my car keys, so I'm going to lose the remote control. I guess you could throw control. it into the yard or something. I don't know. Um, I don't know how you consciously lose something. Uh, let's see. Apart from like a bet. Someone thought they could use their chi to change traffic lights. Um, and then... Someone thought they could douse for water and affect radio signals. Uh, At the same time? I mean, no, just, oh. I think it's different. Uh, let's so see. I'm looking for water and your stereo's messed up. 
Oh, this person, this was, I bet you there's other people who have had this one. This person says when they were three, they were hospitalized with severe dehydration, and they believed that if they stayed absolutely still with their head under the pillow, the nurses wouldn't find them for their shot um, or the temperature or the IV change. (laughs) Many times I thought it worked because they would come into the room and then leave again. (laughs) Other times, not so much. After I left the hospital, I continued with this belief that I could make people not notice me um, I, I think children probably would be very susceptible to that because There's you can get ignored. There's an episode of Buffy about that. Yeah. Anyway, they say she they were convinced it worked. Invisible. They were convinced it worked right up until the TV comedy Soap aired in a story arc where the character Bert thought he could make himself invisible. Yes. Um, and then this person had quite a list. I still believe. A, I still believed a great deal of this after I stopped believing in God. So and they were like, here comes the list. Telekinesis, telepathy, detecting the next song on the radio, traffic lights, always turned green when I was in the passenger seat. The ability to control the wind, spirit detection, demon detection, exorcism, healing powers, speaking to the dead, spirit writing, summoning spirits and demons, channeling spirits, precognition, walking on wind, (laughs) the ability to read auras, and magical empathy. Oh, and then they added afterwards, oh, an astral projection. (laughs) Didn't want to miss anything there. Um, someone thought they could predict the future, uh, and then we got on about the Ouija boards. Um, I mean, it just, it was awesome. Just, just hearing these people kind of cut loose with all these things, you know, it's, and you, you, I guess for me, I, it's things I hadn't really thought about in such a long time that you just kind of put behind you, especially mm-hmm. because it's when you're younger or when you, even if it's when you were a child and then so, you hear someone say it and you're like, oh, I used to, I used to believe that. I used to think that. I, I remember that, you know, and I mean, I, I, I was telling you earlier when we were talking about this pre-show that I remember jumping and hovering. I remember breathing underwater mm-hmm. and it's completely, it's just completely false recollections. You know, I mean, you child, children have crazy imaginations, and just this, this is just absolute crazy, but this is what people can believe. And, and the best, better news is this is what people can believe and then later say, yeah, I really did believe this, but it's not true. Um, you can come out of all of this, I think, is the best message so far with this. Um, yeah, so a lot of it is about how you get past these beliefs, you know, yeah. because sometimes, you know, investigation and even finding out that you have no good reason to believe them isn't enough to stop believing them. There, yeah. There's often something else required, um, and, and I've argued that in some cases it may actually be ridicule. Um, it, it, while I am not a fan of immediately leaping to ridicule for ideas that I consider ridiculous, I talked a little bit about uh, the belief in Santa Claus and how. Um, oh, sorry, kids. Uh, there's there's, uh, there's some people who who uh, stop believing because they actually investigate, and others uh, stop because they're made fun of on the bus oh, to school type of thing. Power this down, I think. So <laughs> the duration. So we want to take some calls. Sure. Ready to get started on some calls here. Uh, Luis in Santa Barbara, how are you? Hi, how are you doing? Thank you for taking me. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been told not to use too much introductions in order not to waste time, so I'll go straight to the point. Okay, thanks. Um, my subject has to do with the strategy that atheists must have when fighting religion. And to my surprise and a little bit of distress, I found that Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins have very opposite ideas on the use of the term that defines us, which is atheism. For Sam Harris, the word atheist has negative implications, philosophical and strategic implications. 
And in his book, I don't know if you read his book, Letters to a Christian I read Nation. all of them. Uh, he states that atheism is a word we do not need. And he believes that attaching a name to something carries real li liability. Yes, yeah, One wrong. of the reasons for this is that by accepting to be named atheists, we are consenting to be categorized as a marginal group, a sort of cranky subculture that meets in ballrooms, which yeah. I don't think that's the case. No, I don't either. I think on this... And uh, also, his reference to negative philosophical implications is that philosophically, there is a fundamental confusion ever since the concept of new atheism and militant atheism has been used to keep our criticism of religion at arm's length and allowing religion to reject our reasoning without meeting the burden of answering the fundamental points atheism makes. And all that has created an environment in which this whole discourse between faith and reason will continue to be marginalized under the banner of atheism. So Sam Harris proposes not to call ourselves anything, not atheists, not nothing. We should be under the radar and fight religion and destroy it yeah. wherever we find them, but not using any labels. Yeah, Sam's, uh, I, I disagree with him. This position wasn't popular when he raised it. Um, I, I don't like the way he characterizes it, and I think he's actually wrong um, to some extent on this. Yes. Uh, however, I believe that new atheists, people who are coming out of the closet, or people who are just starting to wake up to, uh, to our, uh, let's say, ideas, uh, may find themselves confused with these two opposite sides of the spectrum. Uh, because on the other hand, when we see, a Richard, we see Richard Dawkins, he supports the idea of using the term atheist in a very strong way. Mm -hmm. You know, he even says that don't be polite, come out of the closet and be strong, fight, be a militant. And he indicates that the word atheism define us properly, and that is a term that we should use consistently. But for those who don't like that term, we should, he comes with a proposal which is we can use the word non-theist, which I agree with him. In my opinion, I think that personally I believe that we can go with Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins' ideas, both of them, depending on the specific conditions in which that which we are facing. Uh, I very much like your ideas, Matt, concerning how we should fight religion, but I also feel that Sam Harris has certain good points in, in his ideas, but not to be applied under all circumstances, only under certain circumstances. Do you agree? Yes. Okay, well, I guess <laughs> this is the end of my innovation with your show. Can I ask a cool. question that has nothing to do with it? Uh, sure. Uh, what is uh, in the future for you guys? In other words, uh, I am wondering if you guys have plans, for instance, to uh, enhance your show, make it Saturdays and Sundays or every day of the week or things like that. What's, it, what's for the future on, on this particular program that you have? So it's an entirely volunteer effort. We're, right now we're using the Public Access TV studio. Um, it's, 
It's a matter of who has time to do what. I mean, we do a number of other podcasts as well, but we haven't done an episode of the nonprofit since like last October just because there's not enough time. So I don't see this becoming, you know, all of us have day jobs. We're all volunteers. And so this is not the type of thing that's going to become an everyday show. Uh, but if fans of the show start contacting networks around saying, hey, there's this really cool show, maybe somebody, you know, would actually uh, pay some of us to do this uh, regularly. But for right now, uh, we're the, the only thing that we're really contemplating is moving out of the public access studio um, and and doing it out of a building that we bought so that we can just have an internet show and be a lot more flexible in the schedule like it used to be a 90 minute show and now it's an hour so we we don't know do you do you have any knowledge of a similar program than yours here in california i've been looking for it couldn't find it no i'm not As far as I know, we are the only public access live call-in TV show devoted to atheism in the world, uh, although there are numbers of others who have tried it. Uh, the thing is, public access TV is dying. And, um, is Ask an Atheist on public access? They were on public access, but their public access got killed, and so now they do the show uh, as a radio show podcast type thing. So, yeah. Uh, one last question. If we atheists, let's say, decide to organize ourselves here in California and do something similar than what you do, uh, is it a hell of a lot of work, or uh, or do we have, are we going to have uh, serious problems? So what 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 is it that we are facing here? Uh, I, I really can't tell you. It's going to be different in every city. Like I said, public access is dying. So first of all, you need to be in a city that allows public access, uh, and not all of them have it. Of those that allow public access, not all of them allow live shows. And of those that allow live shows, not all of them allow call-in live shows. Um, but there are plenty of atheists in California and organized atheists as well. I'm actually, I'll be in uh, Orange County next next weekend uh, for the Orange County Free Thought Association's conference there. Um, but it depends. I don't know. You could look into whether or not there's public access in Santa Barbara. And the biggest thing is finding people who have time and, you know, some amount of knowledge to actually address the issues uh, and just do it. I mean, you know, it would be nice to have a gazillion shows like this, although ours will still be the best. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for taking me, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Luis. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, and I just want to say, even though we agreed with that caller, mm-hmm. or even though, you know, you expressed agreement, I didn't really say anything, but I don't have a problem with what he was talking about. Um, it's still good because he still expressed these ideas. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you still got the ideas out, Luis, and... Uh, So yeah, it's still worth it. There, this concern that some people will be confused. Look, people are going to be confused no matter what. And one of the things about atheism is that um, we're not a, a hive mind, monolithic. There's nobody in charge. Just because Richard Dawkins says something uh, it doesn't mean anybody has to uh, adhere to it or care. And the same thing is true for Sam Harris or myself or anybody else. Um, it's, you know, there are good local and national organizations, um, and they may disagree on various points. Um, and there's disagreement on which label to use as well. I, I like using the atheist label. I think it actually has a lot of value. Um, I think it's honest. I think what one of the biggest problem I have with what Sam suggested of let's stop using the atheist label is that it seemed very dishonest, and it seems to be a barrier to communication. It's like uh, I'm, I'm an atheist. I'm also a secular humanist, a uh, feminist. There's about a billion labels that describe me. But if we're talking about the God claims and somebody says, well, what do you think about you know God? And I say... I'm a 
Fergal Burgle, um, and they say, well, what's that? Well, uh, you know, I don't really, I don't believe in a God. Oh, so you're an atheist? Well, yeah, but well, then why the hell didn't you just say that? You're, you're going to get saddled with certain baggage based as much or more on what you actually say you believe or don't believe than which label you use for it. Yeah, and one thing that's also interesting, I mean, the fact that you have um, two prolific atheist writers who are not in agreement on the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, at first I was thinking, well, that should tell people something, that mm-hmm. you, know, you can disagree, you can form your own views. You know, and, and it's fair to say that, uh, you know, I guess listen a little bit more intently to the views of people who might um, be more involved in an issue or something than, than I might be. Uh, but it still doesn't mean that after you listen to it that just because they're more involved or they might be more well-read or you know, even more informed that their opinion is necessarily correct. And um, one thing that made me kind of chuckle was I was thinking, well, here you have these two people that are writing these books on, you know, atheists and atheism, and they don't agree, and so that tells you that it's okay to disagree, and that, you know, there's not this agreement. But when that happens with Bible books, you just make up a, an interweaving story that makes them agree, right? You would say, no, 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 they don't really disagree. Um, what's happening is that one of them is just saying that you shouldn't use the atheist label, like, in situations where, and you would make up, like, this weird little thing to sort of make them not disagree and say, okay, now that's resolved. And so, see, there, there's no disagreement among the atheist writers. They agree all the time. You just have to understand it and read it correctly. Yeah. <laughs> and those who read it one way will form their denomination, yeah. and those who read it another And people way. who think it's a contradiction just don't know how to, they don't know how to interpret it. They're not reading it with an open mind. Yeah, there's nothing from the atheist community that's You have to first believe they don't contradict before you read it, and then you'll see that it doesn't. Oh, perfect. All right. Uh, Johanan, how are you? Hey, Matt. How's it going? Pretty good. Awesome. I uh, called in about a month ago with a, uh, a version of a argument from um, philosophy of mind, and it involved modal logic, which you rejected. And yep. I thought of a, a way to reformulate the, the argument without modal logic, and I wanted to try and shoot it off at you guys. Sure. And uh, before that, though, just a couple of things, just kind of like wrap up from where we were before and wrap up a couple of little details I think we can agree on. I think last time you agreed that that solipsism, at least as a, as a theory, was conceivable simply because we do it all the time. It's, a, you know, it's internally consistent, right? And so from that, um, you know. also then, at the end of it, I think you said that uh, the mind could be an emergent property of the brain and not a thing or like a, a property or a process, right? Sure. So my, my take on solipsism is that I am not aware of, nor do I think there's likely to be a solution to the problem of hard solipsism. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that what we identify as the mind, uh, I have no problem at all with it, it, with it being an emergent property of the brain, but I'm not pretending to uh, be the guy who actually solved the... The, the, the consciousness issues. I mean, my big thing is that it's okay for us to say we don't know and that right. we don't fully understand these things. It's not okay for us to say that because we don't know or because we don't have a good explanation that we can therefore leap to therefore God because that's just a fallacy. Gotcha. Um, so what I was going to try and do is I think I can convince you, I'm going to try and convince you that, that the mind is at least a thing and if you want to call it like a material brain, that's, that's totally fine and everything. Okay, I'm wondering why. I mean, I'm okay with you trying to do this, but let's say you convinced me to go ahead and call the mind a thing, an entity unto itself, um, which I, I don't know how you could do, but let's You'll see. see. What, what do we get out of that? You'll see. Okay. All right, so basically what I was thinking was, and you actually did 
we did get to the point where if solipsism, we, we couldn't actually get past solipsism on an epistemic ground just because, you know, I point out that, that we always think as solipsists all the time without even realizing it. You know, we can't get, we can't get past our own mentality, basically. No, I, well... You, you agree with it last time. And, you know, it's not, not to say that it's true or anything, just that it's, it's a... Can I, can I clarify? Because, I mean, I watched yeah. it last time, but I, you know, I wasn't involved in the conversation. But just to make sure I understand, I think that um, people should be more solipsistic in their thinking sometimes, and they're not. I think that, oh, uh, that too many people accept reality without ever considering why. Um, and that, uh, so I would tend to say that people more fall on the other side of that spectrum where nobody thinks solipsistically, and maybe it would be helpful if just for maybe 10 minutes they would give it some thought. I guess I'm thinking is solipsistically without realizing it in a sense. Like we, we, everything that we think of is only in terms of our mind. They don't think of themselves as solipsists. But, like, right, but you don't think they walk around accepting reality no, as they, reality? No, they don't. They don't. They, it's kind of like a, a subconscious thing. It, it's not that they, they don't actually think that way, but if they think about their thinking processes, they would realize that. Okay, they, well, I don't want to hold up the conversation. I'm not sure that I'm clear on what you're saying, but gotcha. let's, let's let you proceed. Yeah, so what I was saying was that, um, you know, we can't get past... We, we, we think, whether or not we actually think we are, you know, in a solipsistic fashion, we actually, that's not the way we'll put it, even though most people are not epistemically solipsist, they can't get past solipsist type thinking because they can't get past their own mentality. Um, you know, Tracy can't see what's in Matt's mind, Matt can't see what's in Tracy's mind, and none of us can see what's beyond our own, you know, our own sensations of the world. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't think I don't think that I'm willing to concede that as um, as an absolute. I think it would, it would kind of depend on context. I I can while I can't look into Tracy's mind and experience what she's experiencing. Certainly, I can see the products of that mind to determine what's right. going on in there. Now, you know, you you still don't solve the the brain in a vat problem of whether or not Tracy's real. And we have machines that can actually show you images and and produce things that are in someone's mind. Like you can hook it up to somebody in, in a computer right. and read the brain yeah. waves and and produce right. what the person is imagining. So I don't know what in what context you're talking. I mean, if you're just saying that. Um, that could be happening. I can't be, of, that I can't oh. be Tracy. I can't know exactly what sure. it's like to be Tracy's brain. Okay, big deal. Yes, we'd agree. I think. If yeah. Well, uh, what the solipsism is more than that, though. There's also the the issue of um, you know, but Tracy mentioned the uh, the MRI machine or whatever. Where you you scan the brain, you can see what's going on inside uh, the brain. And so it's forth. not really an MRI. It's actually an, a computer that you like. You view an image. You think of the image, and the computer will put oh, the image oh, out. Oh, I think I've heard of those. Yes. Yeah. So so they yeah. can they can actually output like translate your brainwaves into the imagery, the thoughts that you're having. Right. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is you can't you can't uh, know whether that is based on a material reality or an idealist reality. You know, it, it could be both ways. Well, I basically. can't even know that person is real. I mean, I yeah. can't even know they exist, right? You so. can't even know they exist. Even if you get past that, right. though, you can't also know that, you know, but, but maybe the, their mind is But the real. same basis of verification that makes me say, okay, I'm forced to accept they exist would, would force me to accept that this computer is reading the brainwaves, especially because the images they're thinking of are images that were, they've already seen that we can verify they just looked at this. Now right, they're thinking right. of it, now the computer well, what, I, what I'm getting it. at is you can, that you can do science on either a materialist basis or an idealist basis, and you get the same, the data, either way, basically. Okay, well, let me let you go on. All right, so what I was going to get at is that since we can consistently conceive of the world as solipsist, even if it isn't actually so, then that would also mean that the mind would have to be a thing. And if you want to label it like a, a material brain, that's, that's totally fine. 
but it would have to be a thing because otherwise we'd be conceiving of a world with no things in it. it would only, if it, it was only a process or a property, then... Why? Are, I, I don't mean, I promise I don't mean to just be insulting, but, and, and maybe it's because I'm a simpleton, uh, but why are we using a thousand words to explain something really simple, which is that I could be a brain in a vat, I have no way okay. of determining that I'm not. Well, I'm also kind of And I am still something that Rene Descartes resolved ages ago. I think, therefore, I am. So at a minimum, I exist on some level. I mean, I don't know why okay. we're dancing around I'm all of that. I'm not okay. clear on so what I we're just kind of want to clear that anyway. up at the beginning. Well, yeah, so, the, Tracy, Tracy's, <coughs> Tracy's question is, is still valid, which is you, you want me to kind of agree that the mind is a thing, but you're okay if I just refer to it as a brain. For now. Okay, go ahead. All right, so the second thing was is if, since we can conceive of the, the world of solipsistic, and solipsism is a form of, you know, idealism or immaterialism, then logically it would follow that we can at least, it is at least consistent to think of the mind as immaterial. Not that it's true, but that it's consistent to be, you know, it, it's a possibility. There's nothing logically implausible about that. Um. I don't know what that means. Yeah, and we're back to we're back to possibilities. So I, like, all what, you're doing can, can is you, well, give me an example. Logic, give me and an I got white flags flying all over here asking way, you to end the conversation. I, I want an example of what your what are the things in the category that you would put that would be immaterial? Like what would be other uh, things in that category? Subjective sensations, um, but they're emotions. not. In the, how is that immaterial? I mean, it's totally based on physical processes. So how well, is well, it no, immaterial? The question, the question is, we're arguing from a solipsistic um, starting point. But then I don't even think that I have a brain. Right, that's the point. Well, or, <laughs> well then yeah. what are we talking about? Well, what I'm getting at is that it's consistent to conceive of the world as immaterial. There's nothing, even if it's wrong, there's nothing inconsistent with that. Sure. And there's nothing inconsistent so what? likewise with... Okay, good. You agree with that? Awesome. Well, I'm then, saying so what, so we can move on. Okay, yep, okay. Uh, last little detail to clear up is you agree that if two things are the same, A equals B, then everything true of A is also true of B, right? Well, actually, I'll go with A equals A, because A and B aren't the same. But no, but it's saying if, if two random things... No, 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 two things aren't the same. That's a violation of identity. The only thing that is the same is itself. Okay, so if I call a plane... Well, this is a good example of this. Um, there are none. <laughs> okay, in, 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 in logic... You, if you, if you clone me, if you clone me right now, there's it's me, the there's me right. and the other me. But so when you do names, a... I call you Matt or I call you Mr. Delahunty. That's labels. I did, I did. He's talking about labels now. Right. Can you apply <clears throat> different labels to the same thing? Yes. Yes. Okay, okay, awesome. So, now, now we'll start to the argument with premise three of the argument. Um, can you conceive that matter could be immaterial? Not matter as we see it, but matter itself. Could that, could that be immaterial? Are you saying? Well, wait. Are you still? Are we at the solipsistic level where I'm just a brain in the jar? Uh, no. This is this is at a purely. This is not the solipsistic level. This is at this is at, dump solipsism for a second. Okay. Uh, we're just going to think of matter as a conceptual thing. Could matter? Well, I think matter, matter and matter. is material by definition. I mean, it's that's what exactly. material. Yeah. So I don't think it would okay. be immaterial. So therefore, matter could not be immaterial by definition. Right, because it is what is material. And but but you're but but there's there's confusion here because. What matter is and what my perception or what I intend to label as matter may not be the same thing. For example, if I'm, uh, 
schizophrenic and and hallucinate something that doesn't actually exist, my brain, for that moment, is convinced that there is something that is material, and my brain is, in fact, wrong. Right. Then we're back to solipsism, though, and then, in that case, we can... Well, Same, not entirely, well, because no, we're able to yeah. diagnose yeah, yeah. schizophrenia. I would say the hallucination exists as a well, mental disorder. Well, the uh, doctor diagnosing is also schizophrenic. Okay. Now so we're back to solipsism we're back again? To, we're back to solipsism. I mean, <laughs> right, right. But I, I'm just getting at, basically, yeah. what I'm just getting Let at Let us know when we switch. Okay, we, matter, we, we, we can't, matter cannot be immaterial by definition, on a definitional level. Yes, okay. So what? Keep okay. going. Matter Mind right. could be immaterial on a definition level because of the possibility. Of I'm not convinced that that's a possibility. Yeah, I don't know how it would be. I, mean, I, I, I can't. Do you have some exe- some reason to think that it's possible? I mean, see... What exists that, outside of the material world? Like, you ha- give me an example of something that's non-material that exists, like... That well, I'm, what I'm trying to do here... This is, Tracy, I'm trying to do... I'm trying to, get, I'm trying to use this argument to demonstrate that actually everything is immaterial. That the mind is immaterial. But then, did we, are we, so are we agreeing or disagreeing that matter is material? Didn't we just agree that one of your premises is that matter cannot not be uh, yes, material? Yes, well, what I'm saying is that matter doesn't really exist as such. Okay, so basically matter. you're arguing for hard Then there's solipsism. no matter. Yeah, I mean, no, I'm not arguing for solipsism. Material is defined as matter. I wouldn't I mean, be arguing for idealism, right? I tell you what, I think one of the solutions to hard solipsism is that if I was generating all this with my own brain, if I was the only thing that existed, I'd never put myself in this conversation. Right. <laughs> Unless you're trying to. Well, okay. I'm not saying solipsism is true, just that it's hypothetically true, and that from that we can deduce that okay, okay, here's what... certain things about the mind, okay. and from that we can deduce certain things about the nature of reality that produces that mind. But I guess I'm tr- I get confused because, okay, if we, if we want to look at it and say like, we're going to have a wholly sol- solipsistic standpoint, then, yes, I agree. Material reality is not material. It's not matter. It's all just illusory. But if you're going to say we're going to dump the solipsistic position, well, now matter is that set of not material right. things. Uh, when I said dump solipsism there, I meant in terms of what I was getting at was that the idea of... Uh, Matter being Im- could not be okay. immaterial was simply a definitional thing. If, if solipsism is true, then then yes, it would be correct to say that matter might not be real and might not exist and might just be the figment of my thoughts. Right. Okay. Nothing okay. would exist at that point. All of it would be immaterial. Well, and what I was getting weird. there is that the simple fact that we can put a mind in a solipsistic context tells us something about the properties of the mind. I don't know how because it's a fantasy prospect. Well, no, no. It, 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 the point is, is that it's consistent, whether or not it's a fantasy. I don't care consistent. whether it's consistent. Dude, it's I care consistent, whether but it's, it's true. Still not real. I okay. Well, neither of us, no, none of us are solipsists here. What I'm saying is that the, the fact that that is consistent and the fact that matter could not be consistently in such a world demonstrates the two are not the same. But we don't know what kind of a world a solipsistic world would be because we can't define it. And you are well, equivoca- and you are equivocating between be? matter and a falsely labeled matter. We don't know what would okay, be in a okay. solipsistic uh, me, No, no, no. <laughs> Johanan, we're done. Yeah. We're done for today. There are other callers waiting. All right, Feel all right. free to email me your uh, argument. Uh, and maybe we can get to the bottom of this because, first of all, I don't care if something is consistent as much as I care about whether or not it's true. I don't care about the masturbatory uh, process of going through and figuring out whether or not you can conceive of something. And I don't care about possibilities. Yeah. You know, uh, right. oh, is this possibly true? What I care about is, is it actually demonstrably true? Yeah, I mean, I mean, really what we're right. saying is well, in, in, a, in a solipsistic oh, context... 
this, like for example, I've got this iPad, right? And in a solipsistic right. context, I could say this iPad is immaterial. So I mean, you could just as easily say that this is as immaterial as a mind, it, by using your own argument, right? Yeah. So okay. you're just saying everything could be immaterial. So why would mind even yeah. be different? It, it's as material as as this iPad in this universe. <laughs> if this is completely up. false, then we are in some solipsistic world. I'm a thing that I don't even know what I am, dreaming all of this. To and wrap up. This is no more or less material than a mind would be more or less material. Sure, wrap up. All right, to wrap up and let you guys off the hook, well, I guess what I was getting at is that I'll close with Max Planck's quote, um, there is no matter as such, and then this mind is the matrix of all matter. So there is matter, but it's not, not um, there's a difference between ontological matter and matter as, you know, just what we call matter in everyday life. Well, we have perceptions of it, ontological yeah. level. I think everybody understands we perceive things, like dogs hear sounds we can't hear, <laughs> and we see colors that some people can't see, and other yeah. animals can't, you know, see differently. And So, yeah, I think we understand Google. that we work under perceptions. That's why we have science to objectify things so that our biases and perceptions don't get in the way. Speaking of science, though, just uh, when you... No, you already time. wrapped up. All right. Next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for calling. Emily in Green Bay, how are you? Hey, how are you guys doing? Pretty good. Okay. That's good. Um, so my question is uh, about dealing with death, I suppose, and, um, you know, how do you guys deal with the realization that there probably is no afterlife, um, which is what I'm going through right now. I've, I've been an atheist for a long time, but uh, recently realized it through watching your show. I actually had some confusion about agnosticism versus atheism, uh, which you guys cleared up for me, so thanks hey, for that. Sure, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, I suppose um, I've been thinking about, uh, you know, thinking about these issues a lot more recently. Um, especially like my, my parents just finished doing their will and putting together their, their papers and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I found out that they've put me as their power of attorney for, you know, if they come to a situation where they can't make decisions or, um, you know, they're too sick to, to make decisions at the end of their life, then I'm that person who's going to be making those choices. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've been thinking about this a lot, and uh, for a long time, I guess I've, I mean, I reject the idea of heaven and hell, you know, the way that, you know, it's typically described, but I've held on to this belief of that there's some, there's some kind of consciousness after life, um, and I, I realize that I really have no reason to believe that besides the fact that it's it's comforting and you know the idea of not existing to me is really terrifying okay. and also to think of you know my loved ones just being gone is really hard to deal with um which i imagine it's hard for a lot of people to deal with but i don't know i guess i'm just stuck between the rationality of knowing that it's it's improbable and then you know getting rid of this long-held belief that there is something out there or something um, to be had yeah. afterwards. Yeah, Emily, I think I know where you're coming from. Let me just ask you real quickly, were you raised in a religious home? Um, I was raised Lutheran, and I, I went to church and Sunday school and did that whole thing. Um, but as I was going through confirmation classes, um, I had a lot of doubts and questions. Um, 
and my, you know, my religious leaders could not answer them to my satisfaction. Okay. Um, so I, I didn't end up going through confirmation because when you go through confirmation, you have it's to okay. make like a public it, It's okay. It's okay. Wait, Emily, let me interrupt you here. Okay. So okay. Lutherans would have concepts of hell, correct? Yeah. Okay. And so they have the idea of the good place and the bad place, right? Yeah. Okay. And, and so they use the threat of hell um, on their adherents, just like many other churches do. Uh, you're aware that, like, um, some beliefs that have reincarnation, such as Buddhism, believe in an, an ultimate sort of non uh, non ego existence, right? Where they're not going to be like themselves and, and exist for an eternity in heaven, right? Like they have this sort of one day I will not be. And, right. and then you have other groups that uh, believe in some, that some of them would go on for eternity and other people will have die and it's finite for them. Like Jehovah Witnesses have a lot of people, believe that a lot of people when they, when they die are just going to die and that's going to be the end of them. And they're okay with that. Um, not all churches put the fear of death into their adherence, which is, is just translating to the fear of hell. There are groups of people who don't have this sort of heightened fear of, of death because they've never been threatened with eternal torment after they die. The thought that you could right. be risking that after you die is a pretty traumatic thing to teach a child. And so it's not uncommon for somebody who grows up in a tradition of hell to come out of that with a real fear when somebody says afterlife isn't there and they have this hor- like horrifying idea of death because when you look at the, the Bible stories, um, death was a curse, right? It wasn't just like a natural state where people die. There's this idea that dying was this horrible thing inflicted on humanity. And it's taught that way. You know, it's presented that way in the churches, that it's this horrible thing that we brought on ourselves and dying is awful. But Jesus came and he's going to make resurrect you and make you live forever so that you can overcome death, this awful, awful death, right? And I'm not saying that, you know, death is wonderful and certainly I'm still alive, so I'm not like rushing to off myself or anything like that. But <laughs> there's some, some people are not as freaked out by the prospect of one day I will not exist as other people are freaked out by it. And um, weirdly, I don't know how to explain, I was raised with hell, but I didn't, I was never really traumatized by the idea of realization that, oh, there's no afterlife. But there are some people that share your view that have a real tough time with it. And I don't know if that helps or not, but we also get people that write to us and say, even though I know it's completely implausible, I can't shake the fear of hell that the church put into me. That fear of hell, it, I, I go to bed at night, you know, still terrified. Well, luckily, I think most people get over that um, and or don't even have it once they realize it's not real. But some people, even when they realize it's not real, it can't hurt them, still are afraid of it. I guess like a scary movie or something that frightened you when you were little. You might be afraid of a dog if you got attacked by a dog when you were three. Um, and even though you know that dogs aren't going to, they're not all, you know, horrible, terrifying monsters, when you get older, you might still be afraid of them, even though you know it's an irrational fear. And that's kind of the thing. And what you're kind of describing is less, is an irrational, irrationally maybe extreme fear of death. Not that the fear of death itself is, is a problem, but a, a phobic styled fear of death is, is a problem. And the idea that, um, 
losing this afterlife, you know, is is a scary thing because then I'm just going to die, you know. And it's like, well, yeah, and we're all going to die. And for some of us, that's very easy to accept. For other people, that's kind of a shock because it almost feels like something got taken away. But there's a an analogy that I've heard people use that what if you thought you had this trust fund set up for you with a million dollars in it and you were raised your whole life believing that when you turned 18, you'd get the million dollars. And then you turn 18 and somebody says, nope, there's no trust fund. It was all just a joke. You're going to feel robbed even though you never had the money. Right? The money was never real. You never had it. But somebody promised you this, and now you're not going to get it, and you feel like a million dollars just got stolen from you, don't you? Right. Yeah, I see what you're saying. There's there's actually, you know, I, that was something I was going to mention. But the other thing that I mentioned is that not only, I mean, you, you, you recognize already that there's no good reason to believe this. But not only is there no good reason to believe it, I think there's good reasons to believe that it's actually false. Um, we don't begin to pretend that we know everything at all about the brain, but when it comes to the things that make me, me, those things appear to not only be the product of my brain, my memories, my preferences, uh, you know, likes, dislikes, who, who I love, etc. Um, all of those things kind of combine to make up my identity, and they, they seem to be derived from the brain. And we know from people who have suffered brain trauma that any one of those things, or all of them, can be altered and or completely reset. There are um, individuals who um, suffer traumatic brain injuries that lose their memory or that whose personality changes dramatically. Um, there's V.S. Uh, um, Ramachandran tells the story of a split-brain patient um, so they had a hemispherectomy, and each of the hemispheres of the brain had a separate identity and personality such that one side of the brain identified as a theist and the other side of the brain identified as an atheist. And they, these completely different identities. And so how the hell does soul math... I mean, Sam Harris has talked about soul math in... in uh, in zygotes, you know, with the splitting and the rejoining, how does that work? Did we suddenly get two souls? Is half of the brain that has a personality and identity that feels completely separate from the other, does it not have a soul? Uh, it, none of this makes any sense. And what we know is when, electri- when the electrochemical energy in the brain stops and everything dissipates till we finally get to a state that we're clearly able to identify as dead and we're still not really good at defining death, either the entire process or the moment of death, or at this point you're no longer revivable. We may get to the point where it's trivial to revive people after much, much, much more time um, being quote-unquote dead. Uh, and, you know, how does that count? So we have really good reasons to think this isn't true. But in addition to what Tracy was saying about not feeling like you've lost anything, um, it's... I had, a, I had a relative this past weekend tell me that she won't watch scary movies after dark. And uh, she's she's a religious individual, and I was I had this, I mulled this over for a long time because like oh wait so you'll watch scary movies during the day, but you won't watch them after dark. What is it about the after dark that changes the nature of this? And it's got to do with the the things that we are raised to believe and be terrified of: the dark, the unknown. The dark represents the unknown. The dark represents death. Um, at night was when your brain shuts off and, you know, if you die in your sleep, you're never going to know that you died. And all of these things kind of culminate uh, in, into kind of building our fears of death. And I, I for one, um, whether or not there is an afterlife, 
am an advocate of doing what we can to educate people about the truths of this so that they can do a better job of preparing for their own demise, preparing for the demise of the people that they love, um, and that, as uh, Penn Jillette offered, they can treat people right the first time uh, because they're not going to get a second chance in an afterlife. Uh, and then if you find out that you're wrong and there actually is an afterlife, oh, well, you haven't lost anything in preparing for finality only to discover that it wasn't. Right. I see what you guys are saying. And, um, I, I mean, I don't really think that – I don't have a feeling that I've lost anything because I, I never really had a strong notion of how, heaven and hell to begin with. Mm-hmm. It was just an idea that there was something like, you know, some kind of consciousness, which I haven't thought about this in a long time. And, you know, I, I'm at a point now where I am sort of coming to the realization, like with things that Matt has said, you know, like we, things we know about the brain and where memories and personality are stored and stuff and people with traumatic injuries. And right. it really points to the fact that there isn't, you know, that sort of consciousness outside of the brain. Um, so I'm just, I'm in the process of, you know, reconciling that and, and trying to, you know, I guess reshape my idea of, of death and the world that we live in, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of this, you know, I mean, kind of relates back to something we said earlier where I I can't put myself in Tracy's head and and experience life as Tracy. Um, And so there's this this major disconnect when somebody dies, because apart from the animation and what they produce as thoughts, everything you know about them is sitting there immobile. It, It doesn't it doesn't make any sense. This is. This is clearly the same person that I've been interacting with for my entire life, and yet they're not. And so something must have left, and that's where you get this idea of a soul, rather than something has stopped working, and that bag of meat and bones there um, wasn't the sum total of you know, who I thought there was, the active process as well, the, the fact that it was a moving, uh, thinking entity agent. We are completely out of time. I apologize. i got to let you go. Thank you for your call. Thanks for okay, calling. thank you guys so much. There's the people who make the show happen. We'll be back. There. Actually, there. somebody will be back next week. It won't be me. <laughs> How do I do this? <laughs>